Hello, and welcome to Sights and Sirens Back to Basic Podcast. My name is Dr. Christopher Sights. I'm an emergency physician, and I'm here with my brother, Jason Sights, who is a firefighter, paramedic, and RN. Together, we run Sights and Sirens, an emergency preparedness training company. Sights and Sirens is a National American Heart Association training center and EMS training company that specializes in NREMT exam prep. Our Back to Basics podcast was created to make what are sometimes complex medical topics easy to understand and retain for students of emergency care. Please like and follow us on your favorite podcast streaming service, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for joining us. Had I known it was an alpaca, I don't think I would have done that. With a name like Ricky, how the hell are you supposed to know? Yeah, I'm not sure. So That's weird. Yeah. Anyway, so let's jump in. Today is our premiere podcast, episode one. Uh, we're excited to be doing this Back to Basics podcast. The goal uh, for what we're doing is that we're going to talk about medical cases, research, uh, topics in emergency care, uh, and bring it back to basics, right? Like break it down for students, uh, for anybody really, even experienced providers in the field to be able to go back to the basics and really retain and learn what, you know, what they need to. Exactly. So today I wanted to talk about this case that you had told me about that you had. So mm -hmm. you know which one I'm talking about. Yep. So jump in. Yeah. Tell us about this case. And then we're going to talk about a couple a couple of uh, learning objectives off of this. But but go ahead. So it's in. a little bit of a long story. All right. I got to give you the background information right. first. Background. So we were I was working at the department. Um, I my partner and I had already responded to a trauma call at a residence and the victim of this trauma call, I I'd never still to this day have never seen anything like it. This guy was, we thought macheted quite honestly in the back of the neck. I mean, his head was like three quarters of the way off and yet he was breathing and talking. He was actually smoking laying down on the ground and smoke was coming out of the cut in his neck when he took a couple puffs. Wait, he was actually, he was actually smoking a cigarette smoke. And I told him like no, almost halfway, to. halfway decapitated. My team's looking at me kind of like we, this is bad. Right. This is really bad. And then we just sort of semi notice that there's a cop in the corner with a long gun trained on the opposite house just behind us. So I'm going, <laughs> what, what is going on? So turns out the story behind this, and it was, it was badly dispatched to us and kind of given us this background, but this guy had been assaulted. Clearly. And, right. <laughs> this guy had been assaulted um, with, a, with a knife and the guy who basically lived like kitty corner to him. I, th I think maybe they lived in the same house, but anyway, he, he's basically kitty corner backyard to backyard diagonally okay. right now. He's on the back porch and we find out that the, the perpetrator of this crime is in the house that's right over there. And there's like cops with, we weren't, we weren't told to stage. He, we weren't told it was just a mess. Is the he cops barricaded or is he just, so that's what they, know. that's what they kind of figured. And they didn't know what kind of weapon he had, which like, Clearly well, had we'll a get, knife. You'll right. we'll get, we'll get deeper into the story, but like based on his <laughs> right. chosen attack style, like if he had a gun, I think he would have shot the guy, right? right? So anyway, this guy's living and ends up making priority one trauma, obviously ends up making it, but it was so that like guy does fine. an immense, well, as, fine well, as, we, as far as we know. Sure. Yeah. So an immense amount of blood. We patch him up. We have to pull him through the living room. We find out that this is not this guy's residence. He lives with the assaulter, we think. Okay. But we're like walking through the living room of this family now. And they're like, yeah, get, get better soon. Like Harvey or whatever his name was. <laughs> and I'm like, his head's off. Like, you know what I mean? Like we're trying to, so very stressful call. We were yeah. on a very emotional call. I think for the, it kind of shook the team I a little bit. I feel like maybe you guys are the only one who knows what's going on so, because yeah, it was this guy's trying to, right. We get back and we're like kind of shooken up about it. We do a, a diffusing and all that. And, uh, the team's already, we've already had like multiple CPRs. We had a couple like hangings that week. It was a oh rough, yeah, it was like a, a rough tough time, time anyway. at sure. that station at the time. So four in the morning runs, runs around and 
we get called out to stage for now the barricaded guy because they had to go in and get him. Okay. So he's still there. Yeah. And so already, like, I, I don't want to say bias, but like already I have like preconceived notions about this guy. Cause I know right. he's capable of like slicing someone's head almost yeah, all the way yeah, off. Yeah. So it's like freaking me out a little bit, but we're called to like potentially treat him, which is, it's a tough position to be in. Yeah, you got to kind of set yeah. your, set your emotions different. aside with it because you saw his victim. But anyway, again, they don't know. I think it, it might've started around two in the morning. Cause it, it went till, I don't think we cleared until like six in the morning when this was all said and done. But these guys have like long guns trained on the house. They're like megaphoning him to like come out. He's barricaded in. And eventually they end up calling in, in the SWAT team. Okay. And I I, I want to preface this with just saying I'm a huge fan of cops. I think especially Absolutely. the cops in the city that I work in, they're they're wonderful people. They're compassionate people. They're they're the good guys one hundred percent. Yeah. But if you experience time with cops, their training is very different than ours. Their training sure, yeah. is to control situations, sometimes more through force. You know, they, yeah, they, they directly control a situation. Our job a lot of times is to kind of flow with a situation. We don't have to control it. We have to flow with it in order to be survive it. So, which is why you're staging in this case, right? right? Like you're staging so, there in case something happens exactly. to this guy, something happens to one of them, that kind right. of thing. So right. we just have different mindsets, though. You know, cops tend to unintentionally, I think sometimes amp things up because they're trying to wrestle a situation to the ground yeah, that's when their we're kind of get more and more calm and kind of. And that dynamic works well, right? You Absolutely. need both. Yeah. You can't have one or the other. So right both. now we're very outnumbered though. There's a SWAT team here, right? right so, yeah, yeah. and on a scale of like one to a SEAL team, these guys are like rainbow six seeds. You know? <laughs> okay. Like they're like pretty intense yeah, yeah. dudes. Like the, the County team comes in. Right. So they're telling us like, you got to stage right here. Cause we're going to go and we're going to get this guy. And you'd think like watching TV and stuff, oh, this is gonna be a fast process. It's not. If you ever stage one of these calls, like it's, it's sure. ours. They try every means necessary. Um, like, like very, very, very low risk scenario up to, you know, okay, now we're they don't just go the big guns. Yeah, they're right, not just yeah, going to yeah, like, hey, flashbang, like we got you, yeah. repel from the ceiling sort of thing. So they try all sorts of things. And I could tell, I think some of them were just kind of like excited to use some of their new toys. Like they're using like the fiber optic cables. They have sure, like the yeah, RC yeah. car and stuff and they're pumped. But we can't like be involved in it that much because we, we have to be set aside and ready to go. So this is like hours long process. So we ended up starting to taking shifts. I would sleep in the back. He would sit in the front. My partner would sit in the front and then we swap. And then eventually all of a sudden, everything just like lit up. They were like, we got him on the camera. Like we're going in now. We flash banged. They had tear gassed it. Okay. And then they're like, go, go, go. And I was already really surprised because there was a doctor. So I feel like we should preface like for, for our listeners who are not in these kind of services. Cause like, hopefully we have people listening who, although this is the first episode, so maybe nobody's listening, but that's okay. <laughs> that's anyway, true, but they will but this is not, listen to it because it's so good. Cause it's so good. All right. Perfect. So this is not a typical ordinary call. Like this is not Absolutely something not. you go no. on, on a regular basis. I've never this ran is, on it. Like, we can even go as far as saying like the trauma call that I had before this, right. that like reference this call is not like a everyday right. thing that, right. that you should be seeing or you're in a pretty messed up city or okay, something. Right, so, right. so just yeah, so everybody definitely not normal. Like SWAT teams do not get deployed. Like this right. is like the only SWAT deployment I can think of in, in my five or six years at this department. Yeah. And even the, the call before this where with the guy with the sliced type right. thing, like I'm not running on like crazy traumas all the time. Those like severe that. traumas. So, like you do, yeah. but it's not like I mean, if you live in a city where you're running on someone's heads three quarters of the way sliced off every day, then I would suggest moving. Move. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so no, not definitely an atypical call in, in terms of the intensity of sure. it. But so anyway, we um 
we pull up to this to the house because we were staging at basically a school down the road. We, they've gone into this. They've, they've gone, gone in, in full. And they're force, like, like some of them are in and some of them are out, and okay. they're all like screaming at like you gotta go, you gotta, which is like hard for us to understand because it's like we knew you guys were going in there with potentially lethal force. Like something happened, we don't know what. You don't know what. Okay, but so it turns out like we get the story as we're going. Um, it turns out as they kind of busted and they had tear gassed him and then they saw him on the camera stab himself in the heart with a, with a knife, just full suicide, like boom, stab it with a knife. Wow. So that's when they went in it was more like, it wasn't to take him down. It was to, to help him out. Say, right? yeah, so, so they rushed in and they have a team doc that's on that. But the whole place is tear gassed and they're like rushing us. So I'm like, whoa, hold, hold a minute. I'm putting on a mask. Like, I'm not going to, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you can, safety you're first. You're going to serve this guy if you right, can't But they're really him. like, you got to, you got to go. You got to go. My partner doesn't get his mask on in time. So spends the entire call crying because right. he's got these <laughs> tear gas essentially, right. which was hilarious to me. But we bust in and what confuses me is that the, the team doc is already down on the guy, like trying to do CPR on him, mm-hmm. but the guy's got a knife in his heart. I'm not talking center chest. I'm not talking in a long. It's not like a something where it's straight like in. Side, right in his left side. He knew exactly where to go. It is in his heart. And I'm assuming like that if there's, is, a, if there's a SWAT doctor there, like, obviously he's checked a pulse. There is no pulse. Like, so he starts CPR. Right. So, and he's very, like, again, things are very amped up. I think it's hard for probably someone like you to jump into a stack and rush in and not have the same kind of emotions this guy's having because like he's now amped up. He's thinking more cop than medical provider. Right. So he's, well, I think even, he's just, he didn't have like the opportunity to like sit back and like analyze the situation and be like, okay, maybe this isn't a recoverable situation. He was just, yeah. it was go, 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 go. Sure. Cause they rushed well, in. And so even quick. as an, an emergency physician, I would like, that's literally the only thing you're there for is this scenario. So you, you do want to help that person as much as you can. But again, like we're talking in this, we're yeah. getting this a little bit more, but like, is this even, vi- I mean, what, well, right. And we, we went from not knowing if he had guns, not knowing if, it, again, I think it's kind of obvious that he probably just had a knife. Otherwise he would have right. shot that other guy, but right. like we didn't know what he had sort of thing. So they rushed in and, and I'm not a cop, so I can't tell you about like the, that side of it. But yeah, all yeah. I know is when I came in, it was a, a lot of kind of panicked SWAT team members, SEAL team six, rainbow six style, like, <laughs> okay, right. you know, and, and the doc kind of trying to do CPR and everyone kind of being like, you got to get him, you, you got to save him, do something. So we grabbed the backboard and what I tried to do was we loaded the guy up. What I tried to do is have them just set him down in the front lawn or in the driveway so we could like work him there if we were going to work him. Because right, I'm right. already thinking I don't really want to put this guy in the back of my ambulance because I think it's a it's a priority for like I think he's just deceased. That's not something so that your we're initial thought is around. this guy has stabbed himself in the heart. And now he doesn't have pulses. Yeah. He's gone. Right. Like, he's gone. Like, I, this is going to be a pronouncement or this is, you know, okay. and, and we're going to need to cover the body and things like that. Also, if you put a bo- dead body, if you've ever done this before, if you put a dead body in your ambulance, now the, the mortician is coming to your ambulance and you're now out of service for hours and hours and hours. So sure. like, okay. operationally, it's, like it's, it's part wise of it to, you know, um, but again, in my mind, I'm like, oh, I'm going to call the hospital. They're going to say, yeah, pronounce them. Like, I, th- that's what I thought was going to happen. Sure. But again, the, the SWAT team and the SWAT doc are very like, you gotta, you gotta do something. You gotta do something. So we end up loading them up into the ambulance. So okay. the door shut. Are, we do, are you doing CPR this time? Or is that doctor still that doing doctor CPR? That doctor was doing CPR. And then we got him on the backboard and pulled him off. And I was like, no, halt, halt CPR. Like right okay. there. I was like, halt CPR. We're, we're done here. Like his, 
It's not so we can we can stop doing we can well, pronounce it, someone right. We'll get to it. Yeah, but yeah, we'll, yeah. We can pronounce someone right then and there when there's like obvious signs of death, like a decapitation. Like you're not gonna right. like try to sew someone's head back on, right? So right. like a decapitation or and in my mind, a knife inside the heart is a that's a non-recoverable sure. instance, right? Okay. So okay. I'm ready to pronounce they're they're kind of amped up. So just for the sake of them, we we load them into the back of the ambulance. And then I call our local hospital. So we operate with kind of two local hospitals. Um, one is the big trauma center and one is just kind of like our, our general medical control hospital. Sure. So I called our general medical control hospital. I said, yeah, so he's got a knife in his chest. You know, I just, it's asystole. I believe as far as I remember, the rhythm was not a viable rhythm. Mm-hmm. It was, it was asystole. And I said, so he's flatlined. So asystole is flatline, yeah, right? Like there's flat-lined. no heart activity, probably because he's standing himself I, in this it. This was a long time ago. So it might have been. Uh, PEA or something like that. I doubt it because there was a knife in the heart, so it doesn't make but sense. But this guy has no pulse. Yeah, he's he stabbed himself in the he heart. He can't. You can't. You don't have a heart anymore. Like he doesn't have a heart anymore. <laughs> right, okay, right. So right. he's dead. So I called and was like, I, I need a pronouncement. And she goes, Well, how long has he been down for? So I like very much clarified on the on the radio. I was like, Well, he stabbed himself in the heart just like five minutes ago. And mm-hmm. she's like, Well, then you you need to work him. It's been too too soon. Okay. And I'm like very confused. I'm like, he, I don't, how are we even going to do CPR on this guy? And she was just sort of kind of like figure out and like hunt up on me. Okay. So my solution, maybe not the best solution was like, well, screw that. Like I'll just call another hospital. So okay. I ended up right. calling right. the trauma hospital. And this is not like in, in, in my mind, this is, and like I said, we'll talk about some of like what the textbook says and what like pro, you know, but Taking everything into consideration, you're thinking here, I don't even know how to do CPR on this guy. Even if I did CPR on this guy, how am I going to unsever a heart that's been stabbed? Yeah. Like you're seeing, this is, I can see someone who's saying like, if someone got stabbed and we'll talk about this too, like location, but if someone got like stabbed in the chest with a little knife and also went into heart, heart cardiac arrest where their heart stopped. Could we revive them? Maybe, but this is but a scenario where like you're we looking also, at this big knife jammed into someone's heart, and it's a traumatic arrest. So the right. rules change now. When right. there's a traumatic arrest, in terms of like we're going to work this guy for this amount of time, like that sort of thing, things start to shift sure. when you have a traumatic. So your protocols arrest. change also, so not, a but bit. it's not like he got hit by a car and it's a traumatic arrest. It's like he stabbed himself in the heart and he doesn't have a heart now and he's traumatic. Right. Arrest. So like we just don't really like we're like I don't know what to do. So sure. in my mind, I'm like, well, I'm going to call the trauma hospital and just ask them. Hopefully they'll yeah, like and see what they they'll have it. Makes sense. Right. I mean, they, so, there's more of their expertise. And then I call and I let them know. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can go ahead and pronounce them. Okay. All right. But afterwards, you know, with the crew and, and discussing it with them, like this brought up a lot of like, okay, like, what do you when do? do we work? When do we not yeah. work? Like, obviously, in this situation, it definitely seems like we did the right thing. But I wanted to maybe just talk today about like when we work someone, when we don't work someone. And what constitutes as like a unsalvageable uh, so, so there's like So there's two questions here that I see. And this is kind of what we wanted to discuss today. There's two questions. The first one is, when do we remove a penetrating object? Right? Like just like baseline. Like when do we remove a penetrating object? Can we remove that knife? What if we did have a pulse? That sort of thing. We'll talk about that. The second thing is, do we do CPR in this situation? And... When can we terminate CPR? When can we say, basically, you know what? I'm not going to do chest compressions. I'm not going to do CPR on this person anymore. When is it an appropriate time? So those two big questions are, when can we remove an object? Can we remove an object? And when can we or do we terminate CPR? Right. And as a general rule with with penetrating objects, uh, we, we learned this in basic, you know, we don't remove penetrating objects because if we 
take that object out, well, what's going to happen? We're going to increase the amount of trauma so and, let's and talk, external bleeding, right? Yeah, so, so let's take it back to basics, right? So this is, so you're correct. So the textbook answer is, on one hand, you never remove a penetrating object. Let's talk about why that is though, right? And I think you're alluding to that already a little bit that like, one, we can do more damage, right? Two, sometimes that penetrating object is actually keeping that person quote unquote stable and if we removed it, we're going to make things worse. Does that make sense? So like, so, so like in, in my, in my mind, let's say, let's, let's take this situation out. Let's just talk about penetrating objects in general. If you've got a, a, a knife or a, a something, you're in an accident, there's something stabbed into your stomach, right? That object is in some ways stopping bleeding. It, it may have, it may have severed some vessels that are bleeding, but sometimes that can be stuck in an area where it's preventing worse bleeding internally if we remove that now there's nothing blocking those vessels from just bleeding everywhere so that's one of the reasons we don't remove a penetrating object the object is, is essentially acting as a clotting agent or, or clotting object it's, it's blocking the flow of blood from exsanguinating or getting out of the body at least right so like even if there's internal bleeding i'd rather have internal bleeding than i'd have external bleeding so that object is acting almost as like a clot just like we would if we had like like a hole a gaping hole we would we'd pack that wound well the object is already packing the wound that it created so removing the object is going to result in in a more difficult healing situation exactly so and that's the thing too so our body is 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 created in a way where like i said if you start bleeding inside there are like you know organs and tissue that like kind of keep that bleeding in certain areas you know, for the most part, sure. in different areas. But like you said, if we take an object out, now there's a there's a track to go out. Now there's nothing. Then, like I said, out in the world is as big as it can be, right? So we can just now have. So that's one of the reasons we don't remove a penetrating object, right? It causes that external bleeding, and it can again remove an object that might be preventing some bleeding that could have occurred, right? And another reason that that we've been told not to remove objects, we don't know if that object is in pieces. We don't know if that object. So we might not be truly removing the object. We might be breaking that apart as we pull it out. Uh, something like in a situation of uh, like a wood chipper or something, if something stabbed into them and I pull that out, but I leave splinters inside, you know, we need to rely on more advanced medical personnel to you kind of analyze that situation to make sure they get all of it out. So we're not really even necessarily accomplishing what we want when we pull the object out in the first place. Okay. So back to basics again, we're going to keep doing this. So back to basics, we don't remove a penetrating object. Now, of course, in a minute, I'm going to, we're going to talk about when you might, but let's say for the general rule, we don't remove a penetrating object. So let's say this guy had a pulse. All right. So for the sake of argument, I'll play a little bit of devil's advocate here. He's got a pulse. How do you treat someone? And again, going back to basics, how do you treat someone with a penetrating object? We're not going to remove it. We've decided that that's what we've been told. That's what, and we know why, what would we do? What would you do? He's got a pulse in this situation. Let's say he's got a pulse. He's got a penetrating object. What do you do? So you got an object. The the fear here is it creating more trauma by moving around in there. Mm -hmm. So our uh, main priority is to stabilize that object and then stabilize his vital signs by other means. So I would take like rolled gauze or bulky dressings and I would pack around that object to make sure that object staying still in the chest. And then I would wrap that real tight so that it can't move at all. So we're not creating more trauma with that, you know, that knife with wiggling around in there, whatever it is, wiggling around in there. And then I would work on, on basic trauma treatment, right? I'd work on fluid. I would work on, you know, stabilizing blood pressure um, and, and making sure that his airway is paid and those sort of things. And this is what we do in the emergency department too. I mean, so I, even in the emergency department, I don't remove for the most part, I don't remove penetrating objects. 
large ones. I mean, like if it's a small object and I have the means and sort of some of it is what tools do you have? Like I have more tools for I can cauterize. I can do certain things in the emergency department. But if it's a large object that's in like a stomach, a chest, I'm not going to remove it either. We're going to keep that thing nice and stabilized. We're going to try to get an assessment, maybe do some imaging if we can to figure out where exactly that is, if the person's stable enough. But that patient needs to go to an operating room. They need to go somewhere where a surgeon can go in and clip vessels and cauterize things and stop all that bleeding that we're talking talking about. So good. So again, like I said, that we're, we're trying to avoid that object from, you know, moving around inside and causing more damage. So we're going to stabilize that thing. So again, so we're not going to remove penetrating objects. Penetrating objects are going to be stabilized so that they don't cause more damage. Seems pretty straightforward until the person has a knife in their chest and they don't have a pulse. So if we went back to, he doesn't have a pulse, there's an object in my way, but it hasn't imploded his heart. My thought process then is, okay, is it going to cause more trauma when I pull this object out? Absolutely. But he's, he's dead. This is a life and death situation here, right? right? He's dead. We need to get a pulse back. That's our 100% priority, right? With a CPR. So we're going to go ahead and remove that object and start doing CPR. So if we have someone who, you know, had, had a, a even a knife just a couple inches to the right or sure. left in the center of his chest, something like that, I can't get a good hand position to do CPR. Well, then I go ahead and remove that object. I'd pack it as best I could, I'd pack the wound as best I could, or just yeah, direct pressure, right? Hands. And then we'd start doing the best CPR we could. Now, granted, is the case going to go well? Probably not, but we have to do the best we got with what we got, right? So. What was so unique about this case, though, is that the knife was was 100% in the heart. So that's another question I was I, I want to pose. So again, so again, textbook. And it's funny is that I actually saw this question asked on a student forum, an EMS student forum. It was literally like a question like this, like patients got something stabbed in their chest. They don't have a pulse. What do you do? And the textbook answer was to remove that object and to start doing CPR, right? That's the textbook answer. That makes sense. We're talking about, like I said, the only two times you can remove a penetrating object is if it's impeding CPR or it's impeding your airway. Like if you can, you know, sure, right, yeah. airway and breathing and circulation, those are the most important things. Those are the only two times. So like a situation I think in my head, like, okay, let's say this person had been in a terrible car accident. You get on scene, you see something impaled, like, you know, into the right side of their chest or in the mid sternum and they don't have a pulse and you don't really know what caused that cardiac? Was it that penetrating object? Was it blunt force with the steering wheel? That might be a situation where you remove that object and you start doing CPR. Again, is it going to be a good outcome? Probably not. Well, trauma, and traumas do, aren't usually, right? A traumatic arrest, we usually don't have the best outcomes for. These are the toughest cases. You know, these are the hardest ways that we have to bring someone back. Right, exactly. So, but again, this is a different situation. So this is someone who's taken a knife. This is the only trauma they have is the knife straight into their heart, which clearly is what caused the Right. It's not, it's not, it's not, he, he, he's a CPR patient and he has a penetrating object. It's right. He's dead because there's a penetrating object. I would, I would equate this to like, if we want to look on the airway side of things, like if someone was like jousting and the lance went through <laughs> their throat, right. They're like, you, you get on scene and they're clearly dead because it, they're non-recoverable, right. That's one of the reasons. And we'll talk in a different podcast about, you know, when you can halt resuscitation and stuff like that. But one of the ways that we can halt resuscitation is when it's, there's obviously no chance of, of bringing them back because of the situation, right? Like a, um, like a decapitation or something like that. Right. So this lance is through someone's throat, <laughs> right? It's like completely through them. You're not going to be like, okay, let's like, let's take that out and start bagging them through this giant now stoma of a, you know, right. Hole in the neck. Like th that's just not something that's going to happen. So yeah. that's how kind of how we pegged it. And obviously the first hospital I talked to, uh, maybe I probably didn't describe the situation as best as I could. Maybe I should spend more time on the phone with them, but, uh, they didn't see it that way. 
So the other thing, the last piece here I want to talk about is why we need to remove an eye. So who said on one hand, we say you can never remove a penetrating object, which is true, except there's, you know, one or two cases, right? It's impeding CPR or it's impeding the airway. Why in those situations do we need to remove? Why can't we, why would you not just leave that in place? And like that one doctor was doing, try to do CPR around it. Does that make sense? Sure. I would say you're causing more trauma then. Right. So our job is is first and foremost not to do more harm, right? Like that's like, that's the Hippocratic code. Like we're right. not going to do any more harm than we can. And with a penetrating object, if I'm doing CPR around it, well, it's essentially like I'm stabbing this right. guy over, just and, over this guy and over and over right. again, right? So we can't we can't do that. The reason we don't pull an object out is the same thing. It will do more harm than mm-hmm. what's currently going on. But if the difference is, this is an answer that we get a lot of questions on the forums like this where people get tripped up on national registry questions where they say they present you with like a traumatic place or traumatic case. Maybe they give you like a semi serious bleed and then they say, what do you, but it's a CPR situation, no pulse. And they say, what do you do first? And the answer is going to be do CPR, even though they have this bleed and they go, wait a minute. I thought serious bleeding, that's a priority up there too with circulation. Well, yes, but they're dead. Like like when, when someone is dead, when someone does not have a pulse, All that we can do is CPR. That is what we will do. We'll solve all that other situation later, right? Mm -hmm. I I say in my CPR classes all the time, like, it does not matter how they died. It doesn't matter if their arm got chopped off, if they got hit by a car, if they froze to death, if they, but they are dead. And now our job is to do CPR on them. Once we get a pulse back, now we have a patient, right? Right now, unfortunately, we have a cadaver. Right. If we can turn that cadaver into a patient, then we can treat those patients, sometimes very serious issues, like a major bleed. Now, thinking practically, if you you and I are in the back of an ambulance and I see someone with a major bleed and they don't have a pulse, well, I got two sets of hands here, right? I can start doing CPR. You can pack that bleed. We can try to handle the bleed at the same time. But test question-wise, the priority is always going to be to do CPR on someone who doesn't have a pulse. And I would say too, I mean, even for people who are not trained medically at all, obviously like we, we teach CPR classes as part of our training center. We encourage that you know, to lay people and to people who are not in medicine, like you can't do any more harm to someone who's dead. You know what I mean? They, they don't have a pulse. I mean, doing chest compressions, doing CPR is the best thing that you can possibly do. So there's never a, there, like if a patient doesn't have a pulse, if a person doesn't have a pulse, if a family member doesn't have a pulse, it's never the wrong answer to start doing chest compressions, Absolutely. right? Every single time. Correct. So the other thing I was going to mention too, in terms of like, why do we remove that object is that not only like I said, again, are you stabbing that person up and down as you do chest compressions? Right. But also like you, you, you harm yourself. You've got a big sure, knife there. You're trying yeah. to, you can just like, you it's know, cut your weapon, hand off, right. Yeah, you know, and yeah. then all of a sudden you've got two patients. So again, yeah, you need to be cognizant of that as well. You don't want to put yourself in harm's way, which brings me to then when can we terminate CPR? So when can we say, you know what, we're not going to, we're not going to do CPR or we can be done doing CPR. And that's one of them, right? If you're ever in a situation where it's become dangerous to you to continue with treatment, to continue CPR, that is a perfectly appropriate situation to say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. That goes back to basics. Seeing Mm -hmm. safety is always your priority. You know, that's another thing we teach in CPR classes is your priority isn't the patient. 
your first priority isn't the patient. Your first priority is not your team. Your first priority is yourself. Your right. second priority is your team. Yeah. Your third priority is that patient. Because unfortunately, it, it is not your emergency. And that patient is dead. You know, when we look at our, our save rates, like don't become another victim. It's not worth doing that, right? When else would you say is an appropriate time to terminate CPR? Yeah. So if we have, like I mentioned earlier, like that futility of, of care, right? There's, there's no point in continuing because the, the patient is not viable. Mm-hmm. And this would be a situation in which um, it would not matter if we did the most amount of interventions that we can do. We'd at that point just be putting the body through a bunch of nonsense, right? So uh, something like a decapitation, um, something like a, a stabbed <laughs> in the heart, an exploded <laughs> heart, right? Something like, um, you know, major organs just gone, Um yeah, if the, person's, even, if the person's liver is like next right. door, and this is why the people kind of mix this up. But this is why, like, when we arrive on scene and we pronounce someone versus working them because they've been down for multiple days or, or so many hours, we're looking for signs of futility of care. Like, if they have independent lividity where they have pooling of blood in areas, um, their pupils are fixed and dilated, they're cold to the touch. Like that tells us that this body has rigor, been shut down and yeah, rigor, rigor mortis, mortis right? yeah. at different times. And this body is, is completely shut down. There's pooling of blood now. Like I can't now pick that blood up. It's toxic. Now I can't pick that blood up, circulate around it. And I'm not a necromancer, right? <laughs> right? I'm, I'm a paramedic. So I can, I can bring someone back from the cusp, but you, you can't just reanimate someone. Right. right? So, and this is, you know, this is kind of, I think what the, the, the initial ho- the first hospital, they clearly didn't understand exactly like this mechanism, but that was their first thought, right? Well, if it's only been five minutes, are we still on that cusp? Do we still have time? And in this case, no, but again, and that is, I think the, the textbook says like, you know, signs of irreversible death, which right. is like rigor mortis, that that like dependent uh, blood pooling, uh, someone's cold, they've been down for a really, really long time. I mean, if you don't know how long they've been down for and you're not sure if they have those signs, well, then try to do CPR, right? I mean, these are, these are the kind of things. So when we do work someone, we work them for usually a time frame per protocol, depending on where you're at, you, you might have a time frame of 30 minutes or 40 minutes of, of where it's necessary for you to work before you can start considering, um, you know, futility of care and say, no, you know, we've, we've done everything we can and it's, it's just not happening. We had a case very recently where we had someone who was in persistent ventricular fibrillation. So a shockable rhythm where their heart has electricity moving through it. And it was persisting for 45 minutes. And normally on a call, like if we had an asystole, a flat line, you know, 45 minutes of, of trying to resuscitate them with, with no dice, you know, we're usually going to call them, but with this viable rhythm where we can shock this, we might be able to read their hearts trying, right? Right. That changed the, changes the game completely. Right. So the, the crew recognized that and transported to the hospital and they burned through their whole drug box, gave everything that they could give, but, and then continued to transport, even though the patient was technically still dead, there was still a, a, a chance, chance of a chance of survival. Right. Yeah. So like you said, it's got to be no chance of survival, complete futility of care. In, in my book, this this stabbing was, that's what that was. I think mm-hmm. most medical providers would have agreed with me. They've been on scene and been looking at it. But that's where, you know, communicating effectively in your radio report. I'm sure I was shooken up. I was shooken up from the previous call. And now with this one, I'm working on this guy. This guy was like way younger than we expected. You know, it, it was upsetting, right? So I'm sure I was shooken up and probably rapidly just being like, there's a knife in his chest and he's dead, pronounce him kind of thing, right. you know. It's not a pocket knife sitting right, right here. Yeah, <laughs> it's not, it's like a machete size. Right. It was like a chef's knife. So, um, so I probably just kind of jumbled, went too quick and created a situation for myself that wasn't going to work out. Awesome. Cool. Well, I think that pretty much sums it up. So really quick, again, back to basics. The big things we want to pull away here is one, as a general rule, we're not going to remove any penetrating object. 
What we're going to do is we're going to stabilize that so it doesn't cause more harm. The only times that we would ever consider removing a penetrating object is if it's impeding CPR or it's impeding an airway. Right. And then going to going back to that CPR piece, when can we terminate CPR? We can terminate CPR if we're ever in harm's way as the rescuer, as the as the provider. We can terminate CPR if there's futility of care in the sense that there's signs of irreversible death. We can terminate care based on our protocols. I mean, if our protocols and things say, hey, we're going to go for 30, 40 minutes, that's based on research that says once you've gotten to that point, the person's not going to survive really any chance. So So we can stop there or we can stop, obviously, if we get pulses back. Right. So those are the big things there. So I appreciate you sharing that case with us. Um, for our listeners, again, thank you so much for taking the time. This is episode one, so I might be talking to no one. Inaugural. Right, yeah, the inaugural yes. podcast. So appreciate you taking the time to listen. Uh, we've got more coming for you every week. Uh, please, again, follow us on your, you know, however you like to stream podcasts. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram. Check out our website. Uh, we'd love to get involved and hear from you. So thank you so much. And uh, we'll sign off. Stay sweet. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed the episode. If you're an EMT or medic student or an advanced EMT student or an instructor of those students, we have a program just for you. With Sights and Sirens NREMT prep program, you get video lectures over 15 hours of really vetted, great content to help you through your program and help you prepare for the test. Check it out at www.sightsandsirens.com.